You're listening to the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast. Before we get the show started, we'd like to remind everyone that registration is now open for the 31st Annual Forum on Workplace Inclusion Conference called Bridging the Gap on April 16th, 17th, and 18th, 2019, located in downtown Minneapolis, Minnesota. The Forum on Workplace Inclusion Annual Conference is the largest workplace diversity, equity, and inclusion conference in the U.S. and one of the largest in the world. Register today or visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org for more information. Welcome everyone to the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast. I'm Ender Goachman with the Forum on Workplace Inclusion. First, I'd like to say thank you to all of our listeners and subscribers. Your engagement with our podcast supports our growth and helps us reach new listeners. If you like what you're hearing on the Forum podcast, please consider writing a review on Apple iTunes podcasts or Stitcher. If you've already written a review, thank you. And please consider sharing our podcast with a friend, family member, or colleague. Word of mouth from our audience is the best way the forum grows, so thank you very much for listening and sharing. In this episode, we're hearing playback from our February 28th webinar called Stand Up, Speak Out, Empowering CEO Corporate Activism with presenter Luana Harris. PR firms are now building entire practices around CEO activism. The marketplace also reflects this ongoing transformation, with consumers either rewarding or publicly penalizing companies for their support for social justice issues or lack thereof. And there are instances where a single act committed by a single employee can impact consumer trust for an entire enterprise. Navigating this shifting landscape raises some tough questions. What are the risks and potential rewards associated with taking a stand? How do you determine when to weigh in and when to remain silent? What practical tools and techniques exist to help bridge the gap between businesses and social issues? During this podcast, listeners can expect three takeaways. First, develop effective strategies for corporate activism and managing the effects of societal issues in the workplace. Second, create a readiness framework for responses that honor your values and beliefs at the individual and organizational level. Third, apply a coaching model to empower standing up and speaking out. Thank you again for tuning in and enjoy episode 10 of the Forum Podcast. Stand up, speak out, empowering CEO corporate activism with presenter Luana Harris. Well, thank you so much. Thanks to everyone for joining our conversation today. And I am Luana Harris, and I'll just be sharing a little thoughts on CEO and corporate activism today. But before we get started, I wanted to just share a little about me. I am a certified diversity executive, also ICF credential coach and global leadership development professional with a a little over two years, uh, two decades that is, of professional experience. I won't say how much over, but a little over two decades. And I'm currently serving on the global board of directors for the Healthcare Business Women's Association, known as HBA. And I'm also author of a book that'll be coming out here in the next couple of months, Diversity Beyond Lip Service, A Coaching Guide for Challenging Bias, and several children's books featuring children of color. And uh, currently, I'm in hot pursuit of DNI around some of the activism that's taking place, but then also raising awareness around belonging. And so we'll delve into some of that today, but then I also have the privilege to work with some phenomenal people that have contributed some thinking as well as some research. And because we do have some emerging trends in the research, I wanted to take a look at that today as well. As far as our guideposts for our discussion, we're going to cover three points, the what around CEO and corporate activism, the so what, why it matters and why it's gaining momentum and attention, and then the now what, what are we going to do based on the trends that we're seeing as well as what the research has now pointed out around where we see it headed in the future. Let's start with the what. When we look at activism and comparatively think about it with the frame of activism versus advocacy, we tend to find and hear a negative connotation around activism from many that take a look at the two in a comparative frame. Activism can be defined as the use of direct, often confrontational action, such as demonstration or strike in opposition to support a cause. 
And when we look at advocacy, we tend to find a more diplomatic approach and it involves an individual or group trying to influence decisions, whether it be economic, political, or social. Now, when we hear that there is sometimes a negative association or connotation with being an activist, then we also have found that the feedback around activism is that it usually happens outside of the system. Whereas with the advocacy, you tend to find it within social systems as well as institutions. So if that's the framing around being an activist or being an advocate or both, for the participants on the line, would you consider yourself more of an activist or more of an active advocate? And if you would, we have a poll here where you should be able to indicate whether or not you feel you're more of an advocate or an activist. Okay, I think we're getting there. If we take a look at the results, we're looking at an 80-20 split between being an advocate or, or considering yourself an advocate versus an activist. Now, when we think about the framing there that was put out previously, as well as what we hear in the mainstream narrative, the reality is, is that there's a place for both. And when we look at some of the times of change, especially at a systemic level, we've seen activism lead the way. And I know many of us, obviously, in, in especially in recent, recent times, with the hashtags that have gone forth with, with several activist movements, we've seen the power of activism. And if we take a look at what's happening today, and as it relates to business and DNI, we've seen it across three planes. CEO activism is one. And when we look at CEO activism, we're finding that not only are CEOs speaking out, but they are also, you see a trend where, such as what happened here, Ken Frazier spoke out and he took action. And not too long after he took action to step down from the current administration's board or council, then we also saw other CEOs follow suit. The question is, when we look at the activism and speaking out that's happening with CEOs, how does it relate to business? And does it have to directly relate to business? And to answer that question, Harvard, Harvard Business Review did a great case study taking a look at the rise in CEO activism and what is actually taking place and how long has it been happening and what are the current trends? And what they found is while CEO activism is not new, the increase in the amount of not only speaking out and taking a stand for issues has increased, they're finding that CEOs are stepping into some of the hot topics, some of the highly debated issues, and some of the really polarizing issues. And when we look at what was put together here from the case writer, we see that before we were talking, sure there were some that may not have uh, been captured here, but when we're talking around the 80s, we see one mentioned. When we see the 90s, we see one mentioned. And then when we get into the 2000s, you see more and more. And we'll take a look at some data a little bit later that shows it's continuing to increase. And as we look at what this means for business, what it means for diversity and inclusion, and what it means overall for society, looking at the influence that CEOs can have, we're finding that there are PR firms that are now dedicating an entire practice to CEO activism and looking at how to best address it and to prepare CEOs to be activists as a part of their leadership competencies. Next, we have corporate activism. The CEOs have, some CEOs have taken a stance as individuals, obviously speaking on behalf of themselves based on their own moral compass, beliefs, 
and we have organizations that are doing the same. And here we have an example where Sanofi US, French pharmaceutical company, in a tweet responded to Rosa and Barr based on a comment she had made. And you see here with their response very publicly, they noted that while all pharmaceutical treatments have side effects, racism is, a, is not a known side effect of any Sanofi medication. And at the time, I was an employee of Sanofi when this happened. And I will tell you that it was a very proud moment as an employee. And it was also a moment of national and global attention. And in response to Sanofi taking that stand, the head of communications of North America, Ann Beechin, put out a statement. And you see her statement here. While some may be surprised that a pharmaceutical company would take this stand, we at Sanofi are committed to empowering life across countries, cultures, and diseases. Where we can, we'll do that with our medications. Uh, when, where we can, we'll do, can do that with our medications, we will. And where we can raise our voice to support those goals, we'll do that too. So with this example of a pharmaceutical company speaking out um, across Twitter in response to a comment that was made about one of their products, that is a very recent example of corporate activism in a way that we have not necessarily seen across large organizations. So it's not only the CEOs that are speaking out, we're also seeing corporate activism at very high levels as well. And then, of course, we have employee activism. And many of us are, it, maybe, have worked for organizations that have had employee activists or employees speak out to galvanize around a particular issue or topic. And in this particular situation, I wanted to highlight two responses, one from the employees and one from the employer because whether it's at the CEO level, the corporate level, or the employee level, the outcomes relative to impact we'll see in some of the research a little bit later are the same. One of the statements from the employees is that the company, speaking of Google, um, that the company must address issues of systemic racism and discrimination, including pay equity and rates of promotion. And then, although their organization really supported the activism, the employees coming together, the, the employer also had a situation where there was another employee activist engagement, and they took a stance. And it was three weeks later, and it wasn't much fanfare, as you'll see here, there was a case um, that happened unrelated to the walkout where they actually filed with the labor board looking to reverse one of the pieces of legislation that protected workers ability to organize. So we found that while there, and I put this example out there because even though we see the rise in activism, we see corporate appreciation and valuing of activism is not cut and dry. And in this situation, the organization found that in this case, while they were able to support and come out fully in support of the walkout, there, were, there was another situation where they felt that they needed to protect their interests. So we have the employees working to protect their interests and the organization working on behalf of the enterprise to protect their interests and it doesn't always line up. So I wanted to set this frame early to say that sometimes quite honestly it gets a little messy but that doesn't mean that we should back away from or that we should discourage activism at any of these three levels whether it's the employee level, the corporate level, or obviously at the CEO level. And then there's a growing trend not only um, with the amount of activism, we're finding that due to the focus in this area that consumers are weighing in, whether it be economic 
or social issues, giving some of their approval around where they feel corporate activism should take place and where it should not take place. And you'll see here that the percentages of feedback around pay, some political issues, as long as they impact the business, consumers are okay with employers speaking out, CEOs taking a stance, and then some of the other more polarizing or considered to be a perception of more polarizing issues, they feel that the businesses have no place in speaking out on those issues. And this gives us also a gauge for some of those, whether it be communications professionals or some of the DEI professionals who look at some of these issues and whether or not they want to venture out into taking a stance or whether they want to put into place some proactive measures. There's also obviously the polarizing effect when it comes to some of these issues. And you'll see here is not only split amongst some of the various topics, it's also based on political affiliations and it directly aligns. When you look at some of these organizations, they're finding that there are also some consumers who have begun to categorize organizations based on political stances as being either a company that supports one party or the other. So a question of reflection, has your organization engaged in public activism? And if so, what was the topic or issue? So we have a poll, has your organization engaged in public activism at any of the three levels, CEO, corporate, or at the employee level? Interesting, look like we have a pretty good split here at about 60-40, 60 on the no end, and about 40% yes. So thank you for uh, sharing some of where you are and whether or not you have seen um, any engagement thus far, because we're going to take a look at trends. And what we're finding is that if companies have engaged or are aware, they are beginning to have more and more activity around activism. And I'll show you some of the reasons why. We'll take a look at that in just a minute. Um, if you could in the chat box, if you could put in those of you that did answer yes, could you put in your the topic or issue if you're willing to share what the issue was that your company chose to speak out on? And Ben, if you could read off some of those. Yep. So we've got one on um, LGBT, LGBT rights from Lanny, um, from Tom Burley, uh, State of Texas bathroom bill, um, Gwendolyn, uh, race relations, and um, M. Doppner, LGBTQ rights. Uh, Amber Richardson said support of cannabis lending, um, financial industry contributors, contributions to LGBTQ, um, Sandy writes mental health, LGBTQIA. Amber Markham, LGBTQ rights. Amber Richardson, poverty immersion. And then our and then Elizabeth Nelson says our organization had not took a public stand on must on most issues given we continue to ensure we uphold our trust principles to remain as an unbiased media news slash news agency internally we do quite a bit on race relations lgbtq rights freedom of the press disability access access to legal services and more uh, a uh, uh, then our, and then another says our company participated in lobbying for equal rights to be added to the state non-discrimination policy. Uh, Lori says the left left the administration's corporate advisory board LGBTQ rights and benefits envi benefits environmental um, Vernon health equ equity initiatives. Um, another from Amber Markham um, CEO action for diversity and inclusion. Uh, Lori as paternity leave from Lori Constantine. Excellent, thank you so much, Ben. And thank no you for, um, thank you to all that shared, because as you heard 
in those responses is is not one issue and more increasingly it's not the safer issues so to speak that folks are speaking out on and taking a stand for they're again engaging in some of the hot topics and with the understanding that there are associated risk with taking a stand there's pros and cons on both sides of the spectrum and with that in mind let's take a look at the so what so we we've framed the what we have ceo action where we have activism at three different levels whether it's the ceo the corporation or the employee we see that it's increasing we also see that it's now wading out into more polarizing topics so that's framing some of the what while it's not new the rate of occurrence is exponentially increasing uh, and higher than it has been in previous decades. So now the so what? When we take a look at the so what and try to frame why it matters, why we should pay attention, why this should even be on our radar. And, and honestly, when you look at it from a business standpoint, why take the risk when it's so much safer just to focus on what we do and to not necessarily um, be involved with some of these pieces that are trending topics and the, you know, the top of the news cycle, so to speak. When we look at the obvious answers, or whether it be around your moral compass, your fundamental values, those kinds of things, we also have seen um, in the data that there's some business rationale why folks want to take the risk, why they look at the trajectory of their business, their customer base, what impact they want to have, as well as some of the social expectations um, that we'll take a look at here. Nearly two thirds of Americans aware of uh, CEO activism and are paying attention to some of the trends have taken action because of the CEO stance. And that's 42% of consum consumers overall who are saying that CEO activism has caused them to actually change or take action relative to purchasing behavior, usually boycotting. But again, we also have seen in recent examples where folks and have reported that they're actually purchasing more from an organization because of the stance that they've taken on a particular issue. So we see here that there's some relative rate uh, rankings around changing purchasing behavior, talked about what the CEO uh, or uh, activists did and what they took a stance for, all the way down to looking at uh, joining a march um, against the CEO or company. So again, uh, in our discussion today, we'll talk about the pros, but we'll also outline some of the cons and risk associated. I want to just um, make sure that we have a 360 degree view of activism, and then also some of the implications for what it will mean uh, for DNI work moving forward as we uh, move forward in uh, our discussion. Consumer likelihood of buying from a company whose CEO has taken a stance as an activist also has risen significantly in the last year. So not only is the trend increasing overall, when we talk about the big blocks of time, decade over decade, we're seeing now that that is the, not only is the growth happening, it's happening much more rapidly, even year, year over year. And some have you know, extrapolated some of the data to say maybe they're looking at some of the current um, trends that are happening in today, namely uh, the current administration in the US and some of those things as well. And 59% of the companies who spend any time discussing CEO activism, when we extrapolate that data, you find that they're reporting an increase in dedicated time over the past few years. And in, when we speak about some of the issues, I'll let you know when it's only focusing on the US, but there's also now been a global study conducted, some research by Weber Shandwick, and this is uh, hot off the press 2019 in January. So looking at not only the US, but the UK and also China, the change in time spent discussing whether a CEO should speak out or not is increasing. And that's across the board and you see the relative percentages here. And then looking at the front lines, 
obviously if you have someone who's speaking out they're taking a public stance you're working with your marketing and your communications team and those executives say 80 percent of them perceive that some advantage to the company rep reputation if the ceo were to speak out so that's one in five what and i'm sorry 80% perceive an advantage and then one in five perceive a big advantage. And if we look at some of the hotly debated current issues, it's a little risky. However, these communications and marketing executives are saying that they believe there's greater upside by having their executives and CEOs speak out. Now let's talk about some of the risk. Speaking out versus staying silent, to speak or not to speak, I guess that is the question. The risk of speaking out is greater than silence, but it's a double-edged sword. And here we see why. We see some of the risk associated, some of the things obviously come to mind, criticism from customers, also the company could be hurt financially, and then you see some of the pieces around um, employee engagement. And then if we look at what has played out for CEOs speaking out versus the CEOs not speaking out across these dynamics, and you can see them in parallel here, you see that there is a greater risk associated with silence. 77% of Americans agree that CEOs need to speak out in defense of their company's values. So if you look at the relative risk, and I'm sorry, the relative risk around speaking out being greater than silence, women are significantly more likely than men to believe that CEOs need to defend the company values. So the frame for all of this, whether it's the research, whether it's looking at the trends, the frame is what is the value to the organization and how does the specific intervention, whether it's taking a stance, whether it's tweeting, whether it's having a walkout, an actual demonstration, what is the value to the organization? And then what, are, what is the value to the people or the employees within the organization? And companies around the world, as we've seen, at least in three target areas, in the US, in the UK, and in China, they're spending dedicated time trying to answer these questions and trying to figure out what the best move is for their population based on internal needs for their employees, as well as for their external uh, customer base and consumers. 70% of communications and marketing executives whose CEO activism had a reputational impact, they, whether it was positive or negative, they also said the impact was long-term. And this really stands out because it's one thing to have a trending topic, you're the you're news of the day, top of the news cycle, all of those things. And there's a lot of fanfare, but how long does it last? And was it worth it? Especially when we look at some of the relative risks that we just took a look at on the previous slide. So when you look at those terms, we're finding at least in this preliminary data that's out there, that the impact is there and the impact is long-term. Again, the, the caveat here is that that impact is whether it was positive or negative. And then CEO activism is more likely to benefit employee loyalty than eroded. So like many of us, um, of course, I'm still, since this is emerging, no one really has this figured out yet. We're all still looking at what's happening, trying to get a pulse for where it's headed, and mo more importantly, looking at what do we do in the meantime to make sure that we are valuing our employee base as well as doing the best thing for the company, uh, the company's reputation and taking stands that align to corporate values. What One of the questions, obvious questions, is do employees want to work for organizations that take a stand or organizations that stay out of some of the polarizing and hot topic items or issues, how do employees feel? And 31% of employed Americans, again, this is US-based, say they would be more loyal to their organization if the CEO took a public position 
on hotly debated on a hotly debated issue, and nearly the same percentage, twenty nine percent, say they would not. Um, it would not matter to them. So when you think about what's happening here and the dynamic, we're finding at least in this subset that it was pretty much even. The question is, what the what are these percentages within your organization or your client base, and as it stands today, there's not a lot of research that's been done beyond what we see here. And again, this is just from January, but I think we're going to see more because as I was even gathering and preparing um, throughout some of my um, research on what's out there and available, I'm finding that it's more and more. But again, we want to make sure that even though this is out there because it is so specific to individuals, organizations, their values, their goals, even as you heard in the, the chat earlier, we have to stress the fact that this depends on what your organization is doing and how, um, what messages that the organization wants to put out there as it aligns to your corporate values. So the data's there. We've had a chance to take a look at the trends, some of the feedback, whether it's employees that want to work for organizations that are taking a stance, even some of the reputation impact, reputational impact of speaking out in silence. So when we take a look at all of that, the what and the, the so what, we get to the now what. What are we going to do about it, if anything? What actions need to be taken and what plans need to be put in place? We start with the fact that 46% of consumers think that there will be an increase in the number of CEOs speaking out. So it's not only, you know, the PR firms, the communications and marketing uh, specialists who are looking at, or executives who are looking at this, it, the consumers are looking. And not only are they looking, they are expecting. So we want to, um, I encourage for those that, those of you who this may not be on the radar yet, just to take a look at uh, what's out there and available, but then also look at how it aligns to where your organization or your client base may be headed. Because some of the musings around uh, and speculation around where it's headed, um, quite honestly, most of it points in the same direction, which is increase. And because of that, we have some uh, very specific recommendations here. Again, credit to Weber Shandwick for taking the lead on pulling together some of the research and recommendations. And these recommendations come directly from corporate marketing and communications executives. And these are just a couple of, of suggestions for CEOs that are looking to take a stance and maybe um, maybe for the first time put out public um, expectations or a stance around a particular issue. One is to shape the response around the employee expectations. So to look internally um, for employees and values. I know someone spoke to that earlier, that your organization has decided that this is the stance you're going to take, whether that is to engage or not engage. And then to also start talking about activism internally, if you haven't already, um, to vet that with the pulse of your organization and your employees and recognize the reputational advantages because we did note earlier that the um, the data showing that there, there are some reputational benefits and advantages for taking a stance. And then also be sure that the CEO and other top leaders know which issues they need to prepare for. And this one, and I had a chance to um, speak with the group, a group last year, late last year, in talking about actually having some of the plans built in to look at when we have issues around or when issues arise that are around certain topics, we want to proactively uh, be ready for, for those things, for those topics. And then finally, understand that the wide reach of CEO activism is not just limited to the US. So I showed a little bit earlier how um, the segmentation across the UK and China uh, was done, at least for this particular research. But we are seeing um, some other areas begin to uh, have some of this as well. The key is, though, we're all 
there's not many industries, companies, businesses that are not global at this point. So whether it's you, you may have CEOs that are U.S. based or organizations that are U.S. based. But as you know, with one tweet or social media post, then it's, you know, we're all global. So that's something to keep in mind as well. Now, in summary, there's the four impacts uh, areas around CEO activism. When we look at what does it mean to the organization? How do I begin to take all of this and, you know, prioritize? Is this something that I should even spend time uh, looking at moving forward? There's four key areas that tend to rise to the top. Um, when we look at the impact, one is that companies are dedicating more time to CEO activism. That's a trend that is uh, emerging and now documented. CEO activism can have long-term impact on company reputation. Again, the caveat there is it can be positive or negative. And then increased stakeholder engagement and satisfaction has been documented for organizations where the CEO or the organization itself has taken a stance. And then CEO activism pays off. And of course, we know that there has been a number of organizations that uh, took a stance aligned to their corporate values and actually saw marked increases in uh, their performance. Now, if, you step, if we step back away from some of the research and just take a look at some of the human impact around activism. Again, employee level, corporate level, CEO level. As a point of reflection, how do you think this emerging dynamic around activism and crossing some of the lines that had been considered taboo in the past, how do you think that plays out from a multi-generational perspective? especially given the number of generations that we have in our current workforce. So let's start with boomers. And if you could in your chat, I know that this is um, not necessarily a, a quick response, but just wanted to see if I could get, uh, we could get a couple thoughts around how you think this dynamic would play out for boomers in the chat. Ben, are you able to open that up and take a look at some responses? Yep. So I put that out there because just as a consideration around boomers, Gen X, millennials, <clears throat> and then Gen Z. And Ben, yeah. you just let me know if you have some that come in. Yeah, the very first one says boomers are more about, um, see, boomers are more about allegiance than activism um, from Tom. Uh, we've got um, from Sherry, Gen Z and millennials are very vocal. Um, let's see, we've got boomers less likely to think corporations or CEOs should engage in public activism. Um, oh, Lori, uh, Lori says boomers are activists than millennials. Um, <laughs> See, boomers tend to be more reserved. Uh, let's see, I am a boomer, and this is very important to me. Also, I know how to how important it is to my younger coworkers. Um, that's from Heike. Um, let's see, we have from Betsy. I think the younger generations are more open to activism. Um, Lori says, or Gen Z. Uh, Gwendolyn, boomers generally are less active. However, some of us have changed our strategies and become more focused on activism through our dollars and mm. voice. Uh, let's see, Vicky says, as a CEO speaking out, you must craft messages that appeal to different generations. One size will not fit all. That's uh, Lisa Crane, millennials practic practically demand corporate activism. Not practically. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Boomers are loyal gener Gen X and below are more open to activists. Uh, and that was, and then uh, let's see. Boomers will more will have more difficulty in activism than millennials and Gen Z. However, there are many boomers who are activists. Think hippie generation. Let's see. Another. Uh, my assumption would be that boomers wouldn't necessarily be against corporate activism. However, it's certainly not something they might be used to as this is a relatively new practice or at least wasn't as common. Uh, let's see, Vivian says millennials definitely very open to activism followed by boomers. Jessica, millennials and Gen Z are activists, just a few Gen X and boomers are 
in touch with activism. Um, to see Devin, Gen X, I believe we are more aware about activism and willing to be part of activism. Gen X, that's me from Sherry. I weigh the, the issues from all angles and I'm vocal about issues which are important to me. Lori, I think that boomers were activists when they were younger. They just, or they use their income to speak these days as mm -hmm. activism. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, there, I mean, there are quite there are a couple more, but yeah, that's, that seems to be the going trend. Yeah, and thank you so much. Thank you, first of all, for for the insights that you're sharing, and and you can hear the trends in the feedback, but then you also hear that there are some um, thoughts that are uh, different than what we may think. Uh, you know, we may have in our mind um, one response that we think we would see from boomers, and then you have others that are like, no, I'm right there, I'm right there with the millennials, right? So I say that to uh, raise this question to say that my, m the main focus is to, was captured in one of the, the comments that said, we need to make sure that our approach is, um, I'm paraphrasing here, but can be received by all. And that, that is one of the things that I would encourage is a mindful response because we can't assume that um, any of these generations are all for activism or all against or opposed to activism. Um, there may be a mix. Even, even in our small sample size here today, we see that there's a mix. Um, and this just heightens the need to make sure that we have a thoughtful approach when we are engaging in activism both internally and externally because we see the same dynamic obviously outside of the organization as well and whomever spoke to the millennials i think that was you ben that said not practically um yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> absolutely uh cone communications back in 2016 found that 76% of millennials said they would choose to work for a socially responsible company, even if it meant taking a pay cut. And this is really important because when you look across generations and you think about security being number one and or really high on the prioritization list for certain generations, and then maybe a little less so as it relates to the financial impact of a, of a certain company or organization or position, especially when we're saying 76%. And then 64% won't take a job, again, speaking of millennials, 64% um, won't take a job from a company that doesn't have strong CSR practices. So we don't have time to really go into this um, uh, in our time today, but that's another emerging trend that I'm keeping an eye on is around the the shifts in CSR based on some of the dynamics that we've talked about today. And um, I think that'll be another intriguing space to look at for uh, DNI, seeing that DNI um, co-collaborates with CSR pretty closely um, in most organizations. Now, organizations that are, we've talked about what the corporate executives, um, the communications executives and the marketing executives say that um, they recommend to prepare CEOs. And here's some basis, and I'll share this. So, you know, anyone who wants to dig a little deeper, uh, you'll have a chance to see some of the verbatim uh, responses. Um, one of the key pieces here that leads us into our last um, section for today is out of China, the first response, verbatim response there is encourage them to talk about issues and hot topics. And while I definitely agree that we need to talk about uh, these things, there's a way to do it. And we want to make sure that those that are leading those discussions are prepared to handle those types of discussions, um, especially when you're working with your employee base and there'll be a, a, a whole gamut of responses and stances triggers the whole nine um, as it relates to some of these polarizing topics. So we want to make sure to set folks up for success before we have them go out and conduct these really um, potentially uh, highly emotive uh, conversations. All right, so getting to um, DNI, what can we do about it? I think there's some very unique places 
that um, for DNI, we take a look on not only the what of what's happening around this, but also the how. I think there's some very good places for DNI to strategically incorporate hot topics in your awareness activities, whether it be through some of the campaigns, some of the long-term strategy you have on raising awareness, whether it be with clients or um, within your respective organization. And then also, while many organizations are having conversations about DNI, I'm not really sure how many of these conversations are, um, you know, really courageous conversations. Sometimes it tends to not venture past the realm of uh, some of the superficial pieces. And unfortunately, this can, especially since if we were calling it a courageous conversation, but then in actuality, it's really not, it can, you know, unfortunately perpetuate the status quo. And then um, we could also take a look at or need to take a look at um, measuring impact. Some people say, well, if it's not measured, it's not done or it's not important. And, you know, others say, well, um, everything that is important can't be measured. Well, that's true. Um, I'd like to also advocate for reforming and reimagining how we measure taking a look at what the specific needs are and not necessarily adapting a nice cool dashboard or, or the latest trend in metrics and all of those things, but really customizing what you're measuring, how you want to look at your return on your, your efforts around engaging or not engaging to do it specific to the customer base, whether it's an organization or client group, whatever it may be. And then if what you really need is not there, create it. And then finally, reassess and adjust. Periodically reassess, uh, reassess where you are once you've la launched your strategy and accommodate um, evolving needs. And on this one, um, especially since we're talking about hot topics and activism and it's very fluid and dynamic, it doesn't mean you have to put it, put a plan in place, or at least I'll put this out there. You put a plan in place and then in a couple years you reassess. Um, no, I don't think that necessarily may be the best um, approach for something like this. It's more of looking at where you want to have the impacts and you may be looking at small wins and short gains as opposed to um, going in and having something that you put in place you put some measures around it, and then you you know you go back and revisit revisit it on an annual or biannual basis. So just wanted to put that out there for um, creating a plan, and then also looking at if these shifts are happening, which they are, uh, in the landscape outside of the business world. Now we see the CEOs and folks bringing it into the business world. Then what are the shifts that we need to make when, we, as it relates to DNI, to proactively create safe spaces for conversations and action versus relying on reactive interventions, so that it's not after the walkout happens that we look to make a plan. It's not after an employee um, acts out some of the isms and now we make a plan. How do we look at what's happening, look at these trends, look at some of the feedback and create a proactive plan for safe conversations engaging in these hot topics? I just put that out there um, for you to think about. One tool um, I do want to put out there as well relative to some uh, initial findings of success when we have these hot topic items is, is inclusion coaching. And um, the three pillars of this approach are unconscious bias, conscious choice, and courageous action, which with unconscious bias is really taking the principles and tenets of coaching and putting some powerful and engaging questions out there and then building a framework for inclusive behaviors that help to translate what it means to actually do inclusion every day. So um, if you look at unconscious bias, one of the questions might be, what are my thoughts and beliefs that unwittingly marginalize or discriminate against diverse groups? And then for conscious choice, an example would be, what choices am I making day in and day out toward creating and upholding a welcoming and inclusive workplace culture 
and then courageous action, how can I respectfully challenge and call out biases rather than solely relying on higher ups or HR representatives to handle these situations? So these are just a couple examples of how we can take what we know works well, which is professional coaching, because we have it in, whether it's through executive leadership or some of the others, performance coaching, and then apply a DNI lens to help us in, especially in this place around activism, because it is, um, again, can be potentially emotive as well as polarizing. So in closing, the um, guiding principles, whether it's CEO, it says CEO here because that's how the uh, data was shaped or research was shaped. But again, these principles can be applied, whether it's a CEO activist, corporate, the entity itself is taking a stance or the employees. Make sure the company values are crystal clear internally and externally and be prepared to defend them because we've already seen some of the ways that there could be um, a very positive response or there you could see um, a negative response from consumers once you're out there. And then ensure your own house is in order before activating. So I, you know, it'd be pretty embarrassing and um, somewhat hard to come, come back from taking a stance on an issue and then being exposed for something similar um, or in the same area. So make sure to, to um, check internally to make sure that you're living, you know, walking the talk. And then also employee loyalty is being tested in new ways, as we saw, based on some of the employees saying, yes, I believe I would want to work for an organization and expect my CEO to speak out. And then you have others who say I'm not impacted. And be firmly tapped into the employee pulse. It's one thing to have what's happening out there in, you know, in mainstream, but what's happening within your organization. And then finally, recognize the difference, differing levels in acceptance and resistance to topics. So we saw that there was um, a higher acceptance to the, uh, some of the political stances, as long as they related closely to the business, and then also economic, but then some of the others, um, there was um, a backlash. So, as my three millennials tell me, um, we see here why companies like Apple and IBM are backing transgender rights um, back when in my uh, backyard here in North Carolina with the bathroom bill, when that happened. Um, it's, you know, the, the subline here, corporate activism is now very much part of doing business. It's just that simple. And um, to, to quote my three millennials, it's, you know, it's a thing. So now that it is a thing, I think with these guideposts, we can work to ensure um, that we have clarity around what we can do uh, as in DNI and how we can help CEOs process some of the pieces because there's it's one thing to have talking points, um, but then being able to truly understand and have the self-awareness and self-reflection to really own some of these topics is, I think, where DNI can truly, um, truly help these CEOs beyond having uh, the talking points. So with that, Ben, um, here's my contact information. I'd love to connect. Uh, just give me a shout if you'd like to connect and, and further uh, the conversation. And Ben, if, do we have any questions? Yeah, we did actually have a few come in. Um, some questions and comments. Uh, and, and, again, and, and if you have any questions, feel free to add them. But let's go back to, let's see, go back. Um, a couple of people uh, said that they would lo uh, love to take a look at the CSR practices and ask if the copy of the slideshow will be available. Yes. Um, yes, and uh, yep, that will be posted onto our website along with the recording of, this, of the webinar within a week. Um, I'll be sending out an email when that recording is available, so it uh, should be available on our website by next week. Um, let's see, and this is from Vic. Uh, let's see, I am a CEO applying to do a TED Talk about responding to Charlottesville rally. Some people um, close to me have expressed concerns for my safety. I'm Jewish. Um, have you come across any research or suggestions on dealing with backlash? Yes. Um, 
I'll, I'll say yes and. So yes, around the incidences and the associated risk around backlash and um, putting it into perspective around solutions, I haven't seen any research in that area. So it's more of the practical pieces around the incidences, not what to do about it. Um, it's, it's Steve, I kind of can't hear you, Mike. You, we still can't hear you. Okay. Oh, wait. Okay. Steve, why don't you just type it and I'll read it? Because we, I, unfortunately, yeah, we're going to have to have your laptop looked at because I cannot hear you. Um, but the next one, um, what are some examples of companies who have linked their CEO activism to change of internal policies. For example, Starbucks may be an example, changing their practices in reaction to the recent racial bias incident within their own company. What, are, what about others who ensure the company slash employees are aligned to CEO activism in, proactive way, in a proactive way? Yes, I've seen some really good um, pieces I'd highlight Salesforce. If you want to take a look at that, there's a great, there's some great examples in, Har in the Harvard um, Business Review. They have um, two case studies that are really good, have some great examples, um, very specifically with Salesforce and around their pay equity. There's some um, really good examples there. So I take a look at Salesforce as a great example of taking it beyond the words to actually changing policy. Nice. And the, actually the next question or more of a comment is also the comment is Ben and Jerry's. Ben and Jerry's is a great example of companies who align their CEO activism efforts with their culture of the company. Um, so that's another ex example. Um, of, and then uh, Michelle asks, how do you tap into the employee pulse if there are different company segments, e.g. blue collar, office, et cetera? Yes, great question. And you know, it, I actually, um, there's not, again, I'm not um, an expert on all of the internal um, uh, infrastructure across various organizations. I'll just tell you one best practice um, that I've seen. And one of the best practices specific to your question is to have um, not necessarily a, the blanket of uh, DNI addressed as a whole, but having specialists. So I've seen organizational structures where there is a DNI person for. Um, I'll take you know my uh, former industry in pharma. There may be a DNI person for research. There may be one for or a member that handles. Um, DNI for that um, functional space. Then, as you said, we may have manufacturing. Well, how those things play out for manufacturing may be very different um, or and will be very different than in the C-suite and some of the sales folks that are out um, that are customer facing. So um, that's been one best practice is to actually have individuals that work with different functional segments so that they can really get into the customization of those of their specific needs because the one 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 what is it uh, one shoe fits all it just doesn't work yeah yeah one size fits all or, yeah um so let's see there was um and actually steve typed out what he was saying so he was he was actually referencing um uh, shameless plug for the conference, but we we do have a uh, forum conference keynote. Um, Shiza Saeed, um, in regards to the question about safety, she was embedded in the white um, right, uh, white right side at the Charlottesville um, rallies. Uh, she will be joined by uh, a former white supremacist and the victim of a white supremacist or supremacist shooting, um, one that took place in Wisconsin. Um, just uh, something not to miss. And yeah, it was just which is going to be a very powerful keynote. Um, and yeah, it looks like that was the last one. If but I just want to go ahead and I just want to say uh, thank you so much, Luana, for this uh, uh, wonderful webinar and for everyone who participated today. Uh, a special thank you to our webinar sponsor, Aon. And like I said, as promised, the SHRM, and, uh, the, uh, the SHRM activity ID is 19-FGVXZ, and the HRCI activity ID is 382 one three four um like i said both at both 
um, have been posted in the chat. Um, the recording of this webinar and the slideshow will be available on our website within the next week. However, if you'd want to learn more from uh, Loana, you can contact her directly at coachloana at gmail.com or um, visit her at loanaharris.com or find her on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. Uh, again, thank you very much for attending, and we hope that you will join us for our next webinar in May. Um, it's still a big fat deal with presenter Lisa Love of the of Twin Cities Public Television on Thursday, May 23rd. We will be taking a brief hiatus um, for uh, March and April as we have the 31st annual uh, Form on Workplace Inclusion Conference in April, bridging the gap here in the Twin Cities, April 16th through 18th. Registration for that is open, so and you won't want to miss that. Again, um, for more information on upcoming webinars, all of our upcoming events, DEI resources, uh, um, please visit us at forumworkplaceinclusion.org or, or find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search Forum on Workplace Inclusion. Thank you again, everyone, and have a great day. Thank you again for listening to the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get updates and the latest episodes. Also, tell us what you think by reviewing our podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. For more information, visit us at forumworkplaceinclusion.org or search Workplace Forum on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you very much and have a great day.